Hello and welcome to this episode of the Horror Drafts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brantley Palmer, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Mr. Nicholas Schwartz. Nick, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Brantley. How are you? I am doing wonderful, thank you. And I'm especially wonderful today because we're joined by a fantastic guest. Uh, He is an independent filmmaker and writer who has contributed to such genre outlets as Horror Hound Magazine, Dread Central, Arrow in the Head, Horror News, and iHorror. He has his own line of officially licensed VHS tapes that include Victor Crowley, Mandy, Color Out of Space, Psycho Gorman, and Terrifier, among others. And he works for the excellent streaming service Screambox. You know him as Broke Horror Fan on all the socials. It's Alex DiVincenzo. Alex, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're psyched that you're here, man. we were uh, uh been fans for a while and have followed you on like IG and everything, and we loved the VHS tape line that you have and everything, and we were just like, maybe we should just reach out to him, see if he wants to do the show. And, you know, you thankfully said yes, so we're, we're so psyched you're here. I'm glad you did. Thank you. It's it's always it's always cool to meet people who have followed the site. It cause sometimes it feels like you're just in a bubble because of the internet. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's nice to know people are reading or watching or whatever. Yeah, there's like real human beings on the yeah, internet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> well, awesome. Um, thank you so much for being on here. Um, we always start off our uh, podcast just to see what folks have been reading, watching, listening to, or otherwise enjoying and Alex, as our guest, please go first. What have you been? Uh, what have you been into lately? Um, okay, I got a few for you. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna start with a cheap plug mm-hmm. because it's a it's a Screenbox original, but it's it's worth your while if you're subscribed to Screenbox. Um, we just released this Japanese horror movie called Yellow Dragons Village. Um, it was made independently, um, and it's like indie horror done right. Just happens to be from Japan. Um, it's only 67 minutes, which I appreciate, um, you know, time's valuable and they get in and out. Um, and it's starts very much like a traditional horror setup, like a, you know, Texas chainsaw or Hills Have Eyes or Hostel. Basically people are visiting, people from the city are visiting a small town essentially. Um, and the town's weird. And then like halfway through there's, there's a twist on that, which I won't give away here, but it basically kind of becomes a different kind of movie. Um, and I was just, you know, I've, I, I do work for Screenbox, as you said, but I have nothing to do with the acquisitions or anything. Um, so this was my first time seeing it right before we, we debuted it, and I was super impressed. I would recommend it even if it weren't on Screenbox. Um, and awesome. another one I watched recently, which was really cool, is uh, Project Wolf Hunting, uh, which has got a lot of buzz on the festival circuit last year, uh, and the DVD, as of recording, comes out tomorrow. Um, and it's a South Korean action movie, um, and it's basically uh what i've been calling it's it's a con air in setup the raid in terms of action and resident evil in some of its genre leanings um all mashed up in this hyper violent like most violent movie you'll see this year probably Mm -hmm. um not in like a super gory off-putting way it is super gory but almost like a i don't want to say campy but but over the top, but so gory, it's it's funny almost, um, mm-hmm. if you're into that kind of thing. Um, so that's coming out from WellGo USA and actually will be on Screenbox later this year, but I promise that wasn't a self-serving plug. <laughs> uh, um, and one other thing I want to plug is uh, Paul Tremblay's book, K-1000, 
Cabin at the End of the World, which is the basis for M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, which I saw when it came out uh, a week or two ago. And I like the movie pretty pretty well. Um, it's a good thriller, one of Shyamalan's best in, in recent years, I would say. But it, it at a certain point, it radically diverges from the book, and to me, it lost a lot of the impact. So I suggest anyone, whether you like the movie or not, I uh, highly recommend reading that book, and really anything from Paul Tremblay. He's an excellent author, local New England guy to us anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I... I think it's a phenomenal book. It was a real page turn. I remember finishing it and be like, wow, that's going to make an excellent movie someday. And it, it came pretty close. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I love that book. Um, I haven't seen the movie yet. I've heard about it diverging radically. Um, and I, I love the book as well. And I'm a huge Paul Tremblay fan uh, right there with you. I think he's doing excellent, unbelievable work. And I'm psyched to start seeing these adaptations coming from some of his work too. And I love yeah, having you I, on, Alex, because now this is like I'm getting the the glimpse into the future of all of these releases <laughs> that haven't come out yet that you're talking about. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like a lot of these new movies come out, and I don't get a chance to watch them for like quite a while. <laughs> you know, well, just, that's why I was trying to again. I hate to like just bring up Screenbox titles, but that's a lot of what I watch. Uh, sure, but I wanted sure. to make sure, like, you know, everyone's excited about you know whatever Terrifier Two or The Outwaters or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I I try to shine a spotlight on on some of the titles you may not have heard of otherwise or may not be on your radar yeah no that's awesome man we appreciate it thank you uh let's see nick what have you been into lately um i've seen a couple a couple movies worth talking about i wouldn't say i'm into all of them but Mm. um worth mentioning i I forget how i read about it but um i read about this movie called violation which is like a 2020 i think it's canadian um uh, like rape revenge horror movie um, mm-hmm. directed by I think two women one of whom is the star of the movie um, which is an interesting aspect especially in that subgenre um, and uh, I watched it because I had read that it's inc- it was extremely unsettling difficult to watch and and really didn't shy away from anything from gore to um, like graphic nudity and uh, that's all true um, mm-hmm. it's pretty shocking to see not the gore necessarily which never off puts me but to see like really graphic sexual scenes especially in a horror film that feel realistic but also in, like very very uncomfortable and unsettling mm-hmm. and are handled like incredibly by the actors and actresses who I give so much credit to um especially in this genre but the the movie is like a gorgeous movie it's very well done um it's not something i can like wholeheartedly recommend sure. um just like anything in the rape revenge subgenre, i can't really just say like yeah you should you should watch it um but if you're into that sort of thing it's a really well made like sort of artsy independent take on that whole thing and uh, i really liked it um and then more recently i saw skin and which i'm mm very torn about um i I won't you know did you watch it i I did it was going to be one of the things i talked about too and i'm very curious how you felt about it because i have some torn feelings too i i'll say this i think which is safe to say which i went in also like totally blind i knew nothing Mm -hmm. about it i'd heard buzz about it but i purposely avoided um any anything like anything even a description of of you know i 
I knew it was an independent movie and that was it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, my experience with it was that I tried watching it. I got about 20 minutes in, fell asleep. That happens with a lot of movies these days. Yeah. It's just like a fan. I have kids, so that's nothing, not a knock against the movie. So mm-hmm. I gave it another shot the next day. I think I did it the right way. You know, I watched it in the dark in the basement with headphones. Um, so I think I gave it a fair, a fair shake in that sense. Um, it's a hard movie to get, to get through. Um, it's a very difficult movie to get through. Um, if you do get through it, and I did, I felt like there's a lot of positives. Like, it's unlike any movie I've seen probably before, but certainly in recent memory. Um, it's very bold in that sense, but um, it just extremely, 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 extremely boring. So you really need to be able to be patient with it if you're yeah. going to get anything out of it. That's the first thing and the most important thing I think anyone should know going into it you need to be patient it's like watching paint dry sometimes literally um and uh but if you can get through it you might find it really terrifying um i read some comparisons afterwards to like paranormal activity and stuff which is a movie that never really did much for me in the scare factor but mm-hmm. I, that i appreciated as like from an independent filmmaking perspective um this one uh I, having read about it after the fact, I really want to go back and give it yet another chance um, because I feel like the first viewing is the hardest and I've gotten that under my belt and now I, I can watch it, you know, with any, like, I, I know what all I'm getting into and I feel like I can pay better attention. Um, but, uh, yeah, unlike any movie I've ever seen, I want to give the director, Kyle Edward Ball, a ton of credit um, it was made on a $15,000 budget uh, in his childhood home. Um, it is really pretty to look at. Um, I mean, again, I think people are going to maybe say the opposite. It's pretty polarizing, but I thought like if you can understand what he's, he's really doing, it's very experimental. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty movie to look at, but it just drags, and I could not, for the life of me, find any reason why it had to be feature length. Um, let alone yeah. an hour and 40 minutes. Like, it could yeah. have been a 45-minute short and would have been just as effective in my mind. Um, I don't want to say more. I mean, I do, but I want to hear what you have to say first. <laughs> yeah, I, I am going to echo a lot of what you've said about it already, quite honestly. And I don't want to get into spoiler territory either. But, yeah, I was shocked when I hit play and, like, on Shutter, like, you know, you hit play and it shows, like, that little bar at the bottom. And I saw it's an hour and 40 minutes. And I was like, Really? I thought this would be like a 67, 70 minute movie, you know, just get into that feature length uh, arena. And I would, yeah, I think we're very much simpatico in terms of our, our thoughts of the film. I, you know, like I kind of mentioned in the, our best of the um, 2022 episode, like I want all horror to do good. So I love that this $15,000 movie made $2 million at the box office and has like far, like more than made its money back. And it's on shutter. Now. I think that is awesome. I want to see more horror and I want to see people being experimental and doing these types of adventurous things within the genre. So I'm all for that. And, and people um, taking swings and making big swings. But I, do agree with a lot of what you said that like I watched this with my lights off down in the basement, just like me and the TV. And it was 
tough to get all the way through and not just be like, I, we've got to be close to the end. Right. And there's like, I'm 30 minutes into it or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that to be like rude to the film or filmmakers. Cause I, I, I really not. I mean, you know, this podcast, we're not the type of guys to like kind of say negative things about a movie just to, you know, get likes and listens or whatever like that. I mean, it's just sort of my, you know, honest take from it. I agree that it, it felt like a 30 minute movie that got stretched three times the length that it needed to be basically. And the other thing, and perhaps maybe even my biggest problem with it. And I, and this is verging on spoilerish territory and I'm going to try to, you know, not get too into it. But if you are worried about, you know, hearing anything, maybe just, you know, skip ahead about 30 seconds, but the film felt like, besides just the lack of story, it felt like there was like a lack of stakes in the film. And it's a weird thing to say in this film that things definitively happen to characters in it. But the idea to me was that this is what it feels like, like to have a nightmare, to be a kid at like, you wake up at two or three in the morning and you're scared and you don't know what's going on. So because the whole thing felt like a nightmare, I was just like, well, it doesn't feel like any of this is real. And so that to me just sort of like kind of removed a lot of the kind of tension and stakes from the film. Um, I I don't have a ton more to add. Alex, if you have any thoughts on Skinner Rink, I would love to hear uh, if you've seen it and and what your thoughts are on the film. Um, Yeah, I more or less on the same page with you guys. Um, I uh, got to see a screener link a little bit early, um, so I knew absolutely nothing. Uh, the trailer was out, but I had avoided it. Just heard the buzz. Um, thought it was a found footage for some reason. Um, oh. I feel like, I don't know, maybe I thought I read that somewhere. Or a lot of people were comparing it to The Outwaters, which is found footage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It was a little too long for my taste. I mean, I have nothing wrong with long movies. It, it felt, it really felt its length, which obviously is not something you necessarily want to do, particularly as an indie film. But also has some genuinely chilling imagery there there's long gaps without it as it's just building mood but i think for a certain subset of viewer like it's going to be the scariest movie they've ever seen Mm -hmm. um i wish that was me didn't quite land there for me but i I still liked it not something i'm i think i'm going to revisit super often um but as kind of a avant-garde experiment and like you said made for fifteen thousand dollars and as a somebody who you know wants to make movies for a living i found it very inspiring just like what he was able to do for that money and make something pretty much new i mean i'm sure someone has made something vaguely similar out there but um to just kind of take the genre that so much has already been done with and find like a new way in it's it's so rare Mm. so i find that very inspiring and then on top of that obviously getting like a pretty wide theatrical release and like all you know mainstream um press and everything like that uh it's it's incredible it it helps every other independent film that's going to come out next you know good bad or otherwise it's it's helping other it it helped us with the outwaters to help us get into more theaters because people saw that skidamarink did well so oh that's great yeah it's um i i really can't wait to see what the director does next yeah Uh, i think that was my biggest takeaway was like this guy Mm -hmm. has a vision he's unique he's got the talent yeah give this guy a little bit more money and I want to see what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. I'd yeah, love to a... see that vision, like just honed into something with a bit more of a story. You know, I love that experimental, like, you know, aspect that he's bringing to it, but I just, I'd, I'd love to see kind of what he can do with a little bit more basically. Yeah. 
it's one of those movies where I think like any preconceived ideas about what it is or what it might be or how it was made or anything like that really permeates your takeaway of the film. Like for me, I really love what you just said. I totally agree with everything you just said, by the way, Um, both of you. Um, I think that for me, especially in hindsight now, having read interviews with Kyle uh, Edward Ball about, you know, what he was going for with certain things like the subtitles that appear sometimes when the kids are talking and it's very clearly you're, you're not supposed to be able to understand them, but like the fact that he's putting subtitles very much made it like that was a very bold and um, exacting sort of like artistic decision. Um, but it also is a decision that in some ways like kind of took me out of the movie sometimes because mm. I, I, or like, you know, again, just reminded me that it was a movie. Um, there's a lot in it in its sort of experimental nature and the way that it's shot and, and how it's really just about hearing things and then um, like filling in the blanks on, on what you may or may not be looking at um, where decisions like that, I think have a lot more weight than maybe even he realized when he was, you know, editing it um, and other things like seeing the opening credits. And again, I Brantley, I may have been your takeaway, but like for the first 10 or 15 minutes, I kind of thought we were just in an opening sequence and I was like, it's going to be a conventional movie soon. This is just oh. the way that he chose to do this. And then when I realized that this was how the whole movie was, um, I kind of had to go back and start over and reevaluate. And there's decisions like the fact that it says like, you know, all the sound, like in the opening credits, like freesound.org is where most of the sound effects come yep. from. It's like, on the one hand, I'm torn because at the at the same time, I'm both really, really impressed that this guy made a movie during the pandemic, found a way to do it, mm-hmm. found a way to do it on that budget, mm-hmm. freely admits that, like, you know, this is where I got the sound. This is the only way that I was going to be able to make this movie happen. And I did it. At the same time, it's like to start the movie with that, I can't find myself engrossed in it because I'm just like every time I hear something... I'm like, oh, yeah, so, you know, I, I know where that came from. I, I know he downloaded this canned sound effect and is doing Foley in his, in his house. And, like, this is a movie where I need to really suspend everything and just kind of, like, look into the darkness and hear things and then fill in the blanks and imagine what might be hiding and lurking in the darkness. But I just constantly kind of saw the hand of the filmmaker hmm. and it pulled me out every time. And I didn't want it to because, as Alex said... Um, there are sequences in this movie, the bedroom scene, uh, that are among the most chilling scenes in recent memory for me. And, mm. like, I think in some ways the pacing benefits that. Like, by the time I got to that scene, it earned those scares so much. I was, like, yeah, absolutely shaking. And, like, um, yeah, so, like, total. I think he is a... I think he's probably going to be a brilliant filmmaker. I mean, I think he is. I think he did a lot with this. Some of the decisions I don't agree with, but um, I'm like the confidence that it took to make a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have nothing but respect for the same Alec, the way Alex said, like the fact that he just on a shoestring budget during the pandemic said, I'm going to make a movie and like freaking did it. Um, yeah. And got released wide and made $2 million. It's just un- unbelievable. So, yeah, I can't wait to see what he does next with more resources. Absolutely. But 
Sorry, yeah, Brantley, I, you no. haven't even talked about really what you've... I don't know if that was your only thing, and we went off on a long tangent, but that movie no. is so worthy of discussion. It is, it is, yeah. I mean, the listeners might be thinking this is the Skinamarink episode and not Nightmare on Elm Street, which it is. But, uh, Sorry. No, 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 no. That was, uh, that was one of the two I was going to talk about. That, and then the other one is Sick, which is on Peacock. Uh, it's Kevin Williamson returning to write um, a slasher film. Um Nick, I know, I I think I remember weeks ago when I had seen it mentioning to you that I that I really enjoyed it, and I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are. Um, I'll just go I ahead and still say, haven't seen it. Oh, you still haven't? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I will just go ahead and say that like um, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought um, it was a fun, enjoyable slasher, um, and like a solid three out of five, three and a half out of five, something like that experience. I really appreciated what they did. Um, tying in like the fears people had around the early days of covid with like the slasher genre and the way that they incorporated that now when it gets to the finale of the film i'm not as on board uh with that aspect of it but there's parts of this film where you know you think a character gets like a win and then something else happens and you're just like oh yeah of course like it's just this unending never ceasing um, violent entity that is coming and trying to kill you. And that very much tied into, you know, the fears people had in the early days of the pandemic. And I thought that they did a really good job with that. Um, <clears throat> did you see sick Alex? I did. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, yeah. Scream's one of my favorite movies. So I was, I yeah. was excited to see, you know, a new slasher from Kevin Williamson. Um, and it mostly delivered. Um, I mm -hmm. agree the the finale, I wasn't super into, um, but the way Honestly, as far as COVID in media, I could, in general, do without it. I, I, I prefer escapism, and like that's mm -hmm. the last thing I want. Is particularly right now. I feel like maybe a decade from now, it's gonna be really interesting to watch something like Sick and kind of be reminded of this stuff. But right now, it's it's too close. Sure. Um, but that said, I did enjoy. It. I thought some really really tight set pieces. Um, it mm -hmm. was basically almost like a once it started going like a nonstop chase scene, but I mean, yeah. kind of segmented. Um, but yeah, really well directed, some really good scares, or not scares, but sequences. Um, but the one thing is, it, it it for me, the one thing that kind of got on my nerves was they go out of their way to say, I think they say April 2020, which is obviously yeah. a month into the pandemic. And some of the things that happen in the movie or that are present in the movie are things that we didn't have at that. But uh, This is like a minor spoiler, I guess. Skip ahead 10 seconds. But there's an at-home test in the movie which like we didn't have those in oh, april yeah yep. and and people are wearing like the everyone's wearing like the surgical masks which are now ubiquitous but i feel like at that point everyone was buying like you know the homemade ones off etsy or whatever mm, um very true, very true. so those things kind of i just feel like if they didn't put a date on it and just said 2020 or whatever i would be like sure. oh this this could be you know any time in that whole year was hell obviously and like but it's still, like you said, captured a lot of those fears, both both overtly in showing some of them, like somebody in the opening scene, I think somebody coughs in the supermarket line and like everyone turns and looks at them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then, as you said, also more subtly where kind of the killer could be seen as, you know, representing the disease. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Some some interesting stuff in that one. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it um, a, a bunch, and I, I echo a lot of the things you say as well. And and yeah, it, the chase elements of it, it reminded me of some of like the best chase scenes we see in the Scream franchise. You know, yeah, there's a couple really great ones in this film. Um, 
and it, and it I didn't expect it I guess going in because I knew they were going to be at this like lake house and so I didn't think that this was going to be the setting that would have a lot of great chase scenes in it but it but they really kill it there's a number of awesome ones the one on the water is is really great um i got a real kick out of that as, as ridiculous as that one kind of that's is. What i was gonna it was say it, it, re- it requires some uh suspension of disbelief but if you Absolutely. can do that it's it's super fun yeah 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 exactly although i will say and, and nick this is the 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 pet peeve again that we kind of talked about in the uh the best of 2022 episode is like that got labeled like that didn't get released on Peacock until January of 2023. So in my mind, that's a 2023 movie. And yet mm. you look on like IMDb letterbox, it's listed as a 2022 movie. And then I was like, you know, they're not doing this with Megan that came out in January of in the theaters. And then I looked on IMDb 2022 for Megan. It's like an epidemic that people are putting the wrong <laughs> years on movies lately. I don't know what's going on. Because well, because they go by premiere, not wide release. So I don't know about Megan, oh, but, but yeah. Sick played at like a festival in November or something like that. Yeah. So no, so. I mean, and I get that, but to me, it's like unless you were someone who attended that festival, like you didn't really get an opportunity to see it. Like it wasn't distributed, you know? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like it really should be the distribution of the film. But, but the weird thing about, Oh yeah, I guess that kind of ties into it. Cause I was going to say like, like letterbox has Paris is burning as a, um, 1990 film instead of a 91 film and like that was at Sundance in 91 still like it was still doing festivals let alone not even getting released yet but yeah I guess if they're going by some other festival they were at before Sundance or whatever they're counting that year I don't know yeah. to me that just seems erroneous but I, what do I know Who <laughs> well, definitely- I don't work in the industry <laughs> It definitely makes like making a year end list difficult because yes. like if you're if you're sorting by, you know, everything released in twenty twenty three, um, you know, something like sick isn't gonna show up on that. Yeah. Right. And which is right. funny because sick was on my radar because I remember seeing it on somebody's list for best of twenty twenty two, but with the caveat that like this hasn't been released yet, so this is kind of a cheat because there was hasn't even been an announcement. And then it just seemed to have dropped on Peacock like out of nowhere, I, I don't remember hearing any lead up to that being going to be coming I was out. Say there was like no fanfare. I I, I know yeah. that's the surprising like, thing to me. It feels like it's just being dumped in January and then like might be forgotten about relatively quickly, which kind of sucks. I don't think it. I think that a film like that like deserves a little bit more of a, I don't know, a little bit more of a release to it. I don't know. Call me. Crazy, I think, but <laughs> I think given what other horror movies like at a similar budget and quality level for that matter have yeah. done. That definitely could have made some money theatrically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that would have been a lot of fun for people. I mean, maybe they don't want to compete with, like, Megan or something, but you put it out, like, you know, early this month, February or something, a few weeks after Megan's been out for a while, and I think people would have enjoyed to go see that. Yeah, it's, I mean, slashers, for whatever reason, are usually fun with an audience, particularly, and, like, yeah. that one has some great gags in it, I feel like. Yeah, yeah would have been fun. Yeah, definitely. But it's also exciting, like, I mean, there wasn't any fanfare, but there's also something to be said about, you know, it was announced like two weeks before it came out, and all of a sudden you had a new Kevin Williamson movie sitting on your TV. Like, that's, I don't know, that's exciting, too. Yeah, no, that that yeah. was, I'm ha- don't, hey, don't get me wrong, I'm happy I could just <laughs> throw my TV on and watch it, because I've been waiting for that for a while. I'd actually, I'd started it when I was at, uh, I was at the gym, and I was like finishing up, and I was on the treadmill, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll start. And I was like, this is not the environment. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. like it's too bright in here. I got to just stop this, go home, and start from the beginning or whatever to, to watch it. Um, 
All right. Well, anyway, that's what we've been uh, watching and and uh, otherwise enjoying. Um, but you're not here to listen to us talk about Sick and Skinamarink and all the other wonderful films. Uh, you're here to hear us talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street. So, to get us started, uh, we are going to be drafting the nine films that are in the A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. But, because this is a five-round draft, we're going to need a couple more rounds of things. So, we're going to each draft a best kill from the franchise, and we're also each going to draft a best side character. Um, we rolled our four-sided die before the podcast began. The order of the draft will be Nick, and then Alex, and then myself going third, but you all know that means I've got the hot corner and get to do the back-to-back from the first to the second round. Um, Alex has agreed to be the commissioner for this draft. Uh, he shouldn't have to do too much to keep Nick and I in line. I don't think we'll be able to get too far out of bounds with this category. Um, but uh, without further ado, let's get this draft started uh, with the first selection of the first round. Nick, you are on the board, sir. Okay, I'm excited to be on the board. I will preface this draft by saying that um, this was a I'm really excited that you picked Nightmare because there's a, mm. a there were at least I think two or three that I'd never seen um, oh, really? in the series yeah um, and and uh, certainly with the exception of the you know the first and I guess New Nightmare um, zero that I remembered um, so wow. uh and I know people are really, really, really passionate about Freddy as a character and this series, so I always felt that, like this was a really glaring hole in my, certainly in my slasher, um, you know, lexicon, but really just horror in general. So it was a good reason to watch these, but I also want to say the flip side of that is that I've only consumed a lot of these just one time recently, and mm. I feel like with any draft, my drafting order may change with further reflection further viewing so uh i just don't want i know you know people are so passionate about this franchise that i if i pick something and you really feel like it's in the wrong spot just you know it might change for me i'm just letting you guys know um that's you're said, really worried the fans are going to come after us with whatever your choice is going to be here i gotta say i'm my not experience. i'm not very confident now <laughs> i'm sorry I just, my experience with really slasher movies in general uh i think horror horror fans with like the big slasher icons get pretty defensive. Um, and, and whatever reason, I think from my experience, Freddie has been the one that seems to garner the most enthusiasm from people I've spoken to. Um, so yeah, I'm a little afraid. Um, that said, my number one pick was not going to change no matter what. It's uh Wes Craven's new nightmare, which I've picked in several ever other episodes of this podcast. Um, Look, I, I, I love um, a lot about this franchise. Obviously, the first one is, is great. And for pure originality, um, you know, and obviously for being responsible for having a franchise at all, the first one gets a lot of credit. But um, I just, I, I can't not give credit to New Nightmare. Um, I just, for me, um, it's... A, it's a turning point for Wes Craven and basically defined the rest of his career in a lot of ways. Um, laid the groundwork for what he was going to do with Scream, of course. Um, but, you know, for, for a franchise that had 
six entries in what was it i guess at that point nine ten years nine years i think this was like 10 years after the original um and had really kind of like run its course to reinvent it in the way that he did um and and to essentially make a movie that's really not even canon like it takes place outside of the canon of the franchise because it's a it's a meta horror film um but you know be made be being reinvented by the creator of the franchise i think gives it a lot of um credibility and uh and i yeah I, every time i watch it i just buy in immediately i love the opening sequence i love the references to the original and how the openings kind of mirror each other um there's a lot of stuff in this movie that i think kind of mirrors it's interesting again it's like a turning point i think there's a lot of stuff that kind of mirrors things that west did in the earliest part of his career and certainly with nightmare and then it also kind of signals what was to come from him and there's a lot of stuff that really directly echoes the scream franchise and uh there's just so much going on in this movie i just think it's brilliant it's so much fun uh for me it's the pinnacle of the nightmare franchise for sure like no question high praise alex i'd love to hear your thoughts on new nightmare uh wait so new nightmare is your number one is that yep yeah, okay that's okay the pinnacle uh, of the franchise as he just I was just making sure, because at first, I, I know you said New Nightmare, but I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, no, I actually love New Nightmare, and to, uh, I mean, minor spoiler for my pick in like 30 seconds, um, I chose the numbers two spot because I wanted New Nightmare to be number two. I know a lot of people love um, Dream Warriors, which I suspect we'll talk about relatively soon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, New Nightmare, I think, is brilliant, like you said. Um definitely felt like um craven's kind of test ground for what would become scream um obviously he didn't write scream it's just like an amazing coincidence or happenstance or what have you um but yeah um i the only thing that for new nightmare that doesn't work for me is the ending um the kind of the finale i should say um it's just he's trying to like parallel hansel and gretel which is fine but it, it kind of becomes goes too deep into the fairy tale at the end um, to live up to everything that preceded it. But everything that preceded it, I think, is absolutely brilliant. Um, it's probably one of my favorite sequels, although it's, I mean, barely a sequel, but my favorite horror sequels in general. Um, just such a smart, clever reinvention. Um, just the original Nightmare itself, was, I think, was an ingenious concept. And then to kind of flip that on its head and make it, you know, part of this reality, you know, have... Craven himself in it along with many other cast and crew playing themselves um it's such like a fun watch and it was pre-scream obviously so it's like it's meta but it's not beating you over the head with references the way the the post-scream stuff tended to do um it's a little more a little more clever a little more cerebral about it um but yeah no I I love this movie um I feel a little heartbroken that the original is not number one, but if anything had to be at the top, uh, I'm glad it's New Nightmare. I I love the original. I know we're going to talk about the original soon, but I I think what it does so well is it it really like, like scream it's, it's, it's making fun of the franchise. Um, but in a really loving way, in a way that brings back characters who would not have otherwise been able to come back. Uh, it's like bringing back a lot of what fans loved about the franchise, while also, I think, acknowledging that it had been run into the ground, and this was like 
you know, and and he and he you know revitalized it. And in a lot of ways, I wish like the franchise had continued from there. Um, and it obviously went dormant for a while, and then what? Well, there's been like one true sequel since Freddy's Dead, right? So yeah, if you count Freddy versus Jason, if you yeah, if you count Freddy versus, yeah, Freddy versus Jason, Jason, so like, yeah, I mean. There could have been a world, I guess, where New Nightmare spawned a bunch of new sequels, and I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I'm talking too much. That was my first pick, and yeah, it was a toss-up between that and the first one, but... I had no idea you were both such huge New Nightmare fans. <laughs> like, I knew you really liked it, Nick, but I didn't realize you were going to be like, the, that one over the original one. And I had no idea, Alex, that you that was like one of your top two. Yeah. Wow. Where does awesome. it stand for you? Um... So, well, first, I want to thank you for picking A Nightmare on Elm Street because it had been a while since I had gone through and watched all of them. And this rewatch was actually really fun because I feel like they all kind of came up. Some of the ones I thought were, like, lower or worse or whatever really kind of came up in my estimation rewatching them this time. And I was actually surprised by that. I thought some of them were going to drop, honestly. But if there's one that sort of felt like it dropped a little bit... <laughs> It would be New Nightmare, and I'm sorry to say that to the it's two of you. And But I think it, what it is is I, it's had been so long since I'd seen it, and I remember it being like a top, you know, right up there, maybe probably third or fourth on my list or something. And um, just, you know, I, I just, I guess I remembered feeling like I, I, I liked it a lot more or something. And so when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, okay. It's not quite as good as I remember it, but is that like that younger it felt like more balancing younger me's like you know enjoyment of it versus older me's like enjoyment of it so it's kind of like a maybe it's not fair to say it dropped in my estimation it's just the viewing it this time it didn't hit as well as it had in previous viewings perhaps maybe that's the best way to put it let, let me ask you this if I, yeah i don't think this constitutes spoiling your strategy or anything where did it land on your list you know if you were ranking this list where where is it it is fourth fourth okay that's that's respectable yeah yeah and honestly i mean the top four i'd say are all like not that far apart from each other so when i say like it came down in my estimation i'm not saying like it dropped precipitously down this list or anything i'm just saying like if there's one that felt like it didn't maybe hold up like i had expected it to i guess it would be new nightmare but that's really that's really it but I, I, I do love the movie, and I enjoy it quite a bit. I, I enjoyed this entire franchise, and I was really surprised. I was like, oh, man, there's going to be some stinkers in here that are going to be a slog to get through. And I was just like, man, this is better than I remember it for like a lot of these movies. Um, so I'm, I'm actually very curious how <laughs> the rest of this draft goes now because uh, I feel like I know what your selection is going to be, Alex, <laughs> here with the number two spot. Um, and, you know. With that, please, Alex, in the number two spot, you are on the clock here. <laughs> um, it is, surprise, surprise, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I mean, really not much to say that hasn't been said about this movie, whether we just alluded to it or said a million times by every other person who's ever watched it. But just, again, the, the concept alone, I think, is, I mean, I, don't, I can't even put it into words. Obviously, the slasher boom was giant, Halloween and then Friday 13th and then everything that wrote on their, their two coattails and it was just starting to peter out and then Wes Craven's just like wait I know how you can have a slasher that you just can't escape because everyone has to sleep I just thought that's such a brilliant idea 
Um, and then you couple that with Robert England as Freddy. He just he obviously becomes increasingly cartoony as the movie go as the franchise goes on. But in that first one, he's just towing the line between menacing and like playful. Yeah. Um, because he does he kind of toys with his victims he has like a kind of a cat and mouse thing and he does like the things where he you know cuts off his finger rips off his mm-hmm. face like just for fun um or does that weird thing where it which is like janky in the movie but he has like those really long extendo arms in that one shot um i love that image it yeah, yeah i i've i've heard people who were like very impacted by that as a kid like it was like kinder trauma if you saw it when you were really young just because that's so like alien to a, a kid um, and you don't understand that it's just a very simple practical effect. Um, but yeah, I mean, Freddy's makeup is is incredible. You don't see a lot of him in, in the original. Um, he's often obscured by shadows and stuff. Um, I love the synth score by Charles Bernstein. Um, obviously, that's coupled with the one, two, Freddy's coming for you nursery rhyme, which is just, I mean, so simple, but so effective. Um, and then the cast, um, I mean... Johnny Depp's like first major movie. He gets an introducing credit. Obviously, he's since had very public issues. Um, but you can see he's he was like I think 21 when they shot that, and he had like a very natural charisma. Um, Heather Langenkamp is like a very kind of brings that girl next door um, sweetness naiv- naivety to the role. But she's also becomes this tough badass final girl, like setting booby traps and stuff. Um, also, a quick shout out to Amanda Wiss or Weiss. I'm not sure. I think it's Wiss, but somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think she's maybe the best actor in the cast, despite the other two being great. Um, and has a great death. And John Saxon as as the dad is awesome. Um, but yeah, just I could ramble on and on about Elm Street for hours, and I have in the past. But uh, yeah, that's <laughs> would have been my number one. Um, <clears throat> kind of thought it was a no-brainer for number one, but... <laughs> Sorry. To uh, no, but I'm glad to see more New Nightmare Love. So uh, I I am begrudgingly but kind of happily playing Nightmare on Elm Street at number two. Excellent. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's any more I can add to the original. I mean, it's just so awesome. I will say, I mean, outside of uh, uh, Sidney Prescott in Scream. I, Nancy Thompson, played by Heather Langenkamp, is probably my final favorite final girl. Um, I mean, she's right up there. I mean, she's like you mentioned the the girl next door gets to become like this badass and fight uh, Freddy, but she's also just so smart and like they do such a good job, especially in these earlier films of like the establishing their the the characters, especially the main characters that you're going to be following through the film, and like you. Look, it, it it's something that was lacking in other another film in this franchise that was more recent. Let's just say that without tipping my hand too much. But I was just like, oh my god, like she's such like feels so real as a character and a person in ways that other films forget to establish that you like care so much for them. And Heather Langkamp is just so awesome playing her. I mean, she's so great, and it's so great to see her come back to the franchise in three and in new nightmare um like she does um so that's all i'll add to the to the first film nick any other thoughts no i mean i like that i mean alex already mentioned it but that that this is the one where freddie's really kind of towing that line and and that that line for me 
again, having seen most of these only once, maybe it'll shift. But that line for me is kind of an important line in this franchise. I think when he veers too much into goofy territory, my mileage with the franchise kind of drops a lot. Um, mm. Not because I don't find that really fun, and I really enjoy the sequels, and we'll get to that. Like there, there's there's a place for that, and I really enjoy them for what they are, and that kind of character is great. I just wish that Freddy wasn't that character because I think, as Alex also pointed out, um, the brilliance of that character's, you know, like how you can't escape him. He is, and his look, really, frankly, with like the the burns and, and the glove and how iconic those are, they're terrifying. Like, I would love to see just a straight horror franchise where he plays it the way he does in one and stays that way. Um, mm. Also, just like as a, I, I, one thing that always clashed for me was like as a, as a child murderer, the fact that he's so goofy. Um, I don't know why, but like I, the, his backstory um, and just the fact that you really can't escape him. Cause like you said, everyone has to sleep. He's such an inherently like terrifying slasher villain, especially compared to the others who just lumber around and, even though they always catch up with you. I mean, that's just such a cliche, and you're like, I, I can't... They don't scare me. Um, none of that scares me, because I just find that so ridiculous. But the idea that somebody could kill me in my sleep is horrifying. And uh, and I just thought he has so much potential in that area, which is another reason why I thought that New Nightmare kind of brought that back. There's a little bit more of that element. So, anyway, yeah, that's that's one reason that I really, really like the first one. Um, above most of the others in the franchise, but not New Nightmare. But not night, not New Nightmare. <laughs> Again, that could change. But no, as of tonight, not oh, no. New Nightmare. It's changing by the end of this episode. I'm going to keep okay. badgering you. I love the first one. Oh, I don't want anyone to get me wrong. Like that would have been my next choice, but and it was close. Well, now I know why you prefaced it so hard before. You yeah, said yeah. New That's why I was like, one pick. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I mean, this you can't really fault me for New Nightmare as my number one pick when our very first episode I picked Jason X before like any other. Episode. <laughs> yeah, that I was mean, a round two selection, I think. Yeah, as a round two yeah. selection. Yeah. All right. Well, kind of, kind of had a suspicion those two would be off the board pretty quickly. Uh, I think. Most people probably know where I'm going here with the final pick of the first round. I'm going to number three, Dream Warriors. Um, it, uh, uh, perhaps my... Let's see. Where did, yeah, that was second on my list after the original. So, you know, uh, pretty pretty close in line to like the top of the franchise in, uh, in my book. Um, I think, you know, I completely agree in the first film, Freddy saw as a playfulness without being too over the top. You're starting to see some of that over-the-topness in this one, like the Welcome to Prime Time bitch uh, stuff, which then kind of gets taken to another level in, in some of the other sequels. But it's still, you know, not too too over-the-top for me in, in this film. And um, and just such a great um, concept, too, that you, you have these uh, kids who are, you know, the last of the Elm Street kids who are taking Hypnosil to no longer, you know, be seeing Freddy in their dreams. And they're all together at this institution. And it brings back Heather Langenkamp as Nancy. And it's just so, and John Saxon as, as her, her dad, actually. So um, it was this nice kind of return to form in a way for the franchise as much as it's like breaking new ground and starting to um do some of that um 
I'm blanking on the word, but um, rewriting the history a little bit there, like with um, the the mo- uh, Freddy's mom that shows up to uh, Craig Wasson there uh, and kind of fills in some of the backstory on him, which <clears throat> there's a part of that backstory I find really distasteful and like unpleasant um and so like part of it <laughs> but i mean i mean just like that the notion of where freddie is what he's born from and everything i'm just like oh my god and i for, i kind of had forgotten rewatching it that that's introduced in this movie I, I i don't know how i had forgotten that this was a part of three uh during this rewatch um so, so you know it's kind of not maybe maybe points against honestly because it's one of my least favorite aspects of of the character and the the horrible brutality his his mom had gone through jesus um but it's also probably like the most stacked cast of any of any movie in the franchise besides john saxon and heather langenkamp you have Lawrence fishburne uh you have craig wasson um I mean, Patricia it's Arquette. just like Patricia Arquette. Yeah. I mean, it's just weird. Like, oh, there's like all these names in this film. That's so wild. Um, so it's and it's fun. You know, it's just a fun movie. And it's fun to see the characters get to try to take control in the dream world where they can be whatever they want and uh, take on Freddy in that in that avenue and uh yeah I, I don't know what else to say about dream warriors um you two take it away <laughs> um yeah I'll, I'll build on what you said um yeah i feel like it's kind of peak freddy or at least peak robert england as freddy um mm-hmm. like you said he's starting to go over the top but he's like he's chewing the hell out of that scenery but he's not quite like a parody of himself where do you which he would become in some of the later entries um, so I appreciate that balance. Um, has some of the highlights of the whole franchise. You mentioned the Welcome to, Welcome to Primetime Bitch, which is like silly, but like such an iconic scene. Um, the the puppeteering death early on is mm-hmm. is one of the best. The syringe glove is is a crazy one. Um, the chest of souls is a you know a sight to behold. Um, let's see. You mentioned the cast is stacked. Um, yeah. Dawkins Dream Warriors song over the end credits is awesome. Oh, one, yeah. of my, one of my favorite, uh, you know, <laughs> 80s songs, uh, yeah. movie themes. Um, also, Chuck Russell's directorial debut. He went on to make, well, the Blob remake, but also like The Mask and Scorpion King. Um, mm-hmm. And Frank Darabont's first produced screenplay. And Wes Craven came oh, yeah. back. He co-wrote the script. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just stacked both in front and behind the camera. Um, yeah, it's, again, it's not quite my personal favorite of the sequels but it's easy to see why it is like the fan favorite sequel yeah and angelo Nick? uh Badalamente, right oh uh, um, yeah yeah great did score the scored it which is crazy so you got him you got patricia arquette it's david lynch collaborators yeah <laughs> later in life um <laughs> yeah um yeah this was uh would have been next on my list as well uh I think that was an obvious choice and a great one. I, of all the sequels, certainly of all the numbered sequels, uh, far and away, I think that the strongest for all the reasons you mentioned. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's the perfect, none of the dream sequences are too out there. Um, Mm. 
they do some of them like, like you know border a little bit on silly but they're treated in a way where like even the puppet thing you know like on paper that sounds so ridiculous but like when you see it on screen uh it's pretty repulsive <laughs> and uh uh very creative and i like that it combines like a little bit of stop motion when he first when freddy first kind of appears in that scene there's there's some great practical effects in that in that movie um so yeah uh yeah great pick and i love patricia arquette and it's a shame that she doesn't return yeah that is kind of a bummer although uh, you know there's other bummers about returning characters from three in the, in the sequel <laughs> sure. so yeah not to not to ruin anything or anything yeah, but, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but i do like how that like storyline and we'll get i'm sure we'll get into what we talk about the other ones, but i do like there's like a real solid run from like three through five where like it's it's like a solid story a that kind of continues. Yeah, it is. It's like a trilogy in and of itself from three to five, basically, which is kind of um, kind of interesting considering how like one and two were so disjointed from each other, and same with two to three through five. Kind of, it was nice to see that kind of cohesion in this rewatch, which was fun. It's funny because I think there's such a esteem for this movie and like again having not been as familiar with the franchise like i knew um shit why can't i think of his name right now it's gonna drive me crazy um the director of four uh you know who did oh uh, Renny Renny harlan thank you yes Renny harlan like i knew he had done one of them and for some reason i always kind of assumed it was three just because um and uh so having him do you know the one that's sandwiched in the middle of that trilogy um was weird i fully expected it to be three and as when i saw chuck russell's name in the credits i was like very surprised um and i wound up well you know what i don't want to spoil where <laughs> number four winds up on my list but uh, yeah yeah i was surprised that that one wasn't wasn't his anyway good good pick i really like it oh. and you go back to back now right I do, yeah. So I'm going to follow this up, and here's where I'm going to start to preface my next pick. Um, I know some people might be looking at the rest of the movies that are left in this Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and being like, Brantley, how could you take this movie you're about to take over X or Y or Z or whatever? Uh, But here's the thing. I really love this movie. It's dumb, and it feels a little dated, which is weird to say because it's one of the more recent ones from this franchise. Uh, but I saw this with my girlfriend at the time, opening weekend. Uh, it was the number one movie in America when it came out. The Clash of the Titans, that was Freddy versus Jason. So um, it just it has a special place in my heart. Some things in it really do not age well. In fact, they age really poorly, but this was made 20 years ago, folks. Um, and that girlfriend that I took there is now my wife. Uh, we have been together for 21 years in March. High school sweethearts. Uh, I gotta, I gotta give it to Freddy versus Jason. This has always been one of my favorites uh, in the Nightmare franchise. Uh, one of my favorites in both of the franchises, honestly. And um, just a heck of a good time as ridiculous as some of the plot points are like how they drive from <laughs> what is it ohio to jersey so easily uh in that van while keeping jason sedated things of that nature um it's just it's just fun it, it's fun and stupid in all the right ways and just tickles me endlessly so freddie versus jason is my second round choice 
Alex, I saw you pump your fist. I got to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, dude, I love Pretty versus Jason. This is nice. M- my number three. Um, awesome. Th- this would be like just above Dream Warriors on my personal ranking. Um, okay. I definitely have kind of, it sounds like you have a little bit as well, kind of the rose-tinted glasses looking at this movie. This is actually sure. the movie that kind of made me a horror fan. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, quick, quick little aside, but... Uh, I knew of Freddy and Jason and Michael and stuff like that. I had seen a couple of horror movies here and there um, before. But when Freddy vs. Jason was coming out, it just, like, I don't know, sounded cool. Sounded like a big deal. Also had a soundtrack with a bunch of bands that I liked. Um, Mm. So I was like, I need to check this out. Um, But, you know, I need to figure out, you know, who Freddy and Jason are. So I was like, I don't really have, like, the time or the money to rent 17 movies before I see this one. I'm sure if I just watched the first Elm Street and the first Friday the 13th, I'll, like, get the gist of it. Um, obviously not realizing that Jason's not in the first Friday the 13th. Uh, nevertheless, I uh, saw Freddy vs. Jason, absolutely loved it. Um, went on to see all the other movies and loved them as well. Um, but, yeah, no, I have a huge soft spot. It's one of my comfort movies. Um, like you said, dumb and fun in all the right ways. I, I could not articulate it any better than that because... It is very dumb, but, like, how else could you make Freddy versus Jason? Um, there's a book, yeah. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Slash of the Titans, mm-hmm. about all the unused scripts. And when you read those, it's like, oh, it's insane that it took, whatever it is, 20 years and 30 writers to come to this point, which is such, like, a at a base level. It is dumb, but it's a super simple idea to get them together. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many others were, like, super out there, extreme, weird, bad. Um, yeah. This one just seems like the most basic route to take, and it's like insane. It took so long to get there, uh, but yeah, super fun. Um, cast is fun. Uh, Ronnie Yu, who had big success with Bride of Chucky, got got him this role, um, and I love his use of color in this movie. Um, almost like kind of an '80s Italian mo- influence. I don't think that was his influence, but it kind of has those vibes in how he uses the color. Um, at, you know, as of now, England's last time as freddy and like i think it was like a pretty high note to go out on even if you didn't love the movie it was cool to see it make a insane amount of money like huge huge box office hit had a big pop culture impact crazy a sequel never got made but you know that's neither here nor there um but yeah no just again a few moments that are very dated have aged very poorly um but beyond that i just think it's such a fun early 2000s time capsule of horror like right before everything changed because i think texas chainsaw remake came out maybe a few months before or after and like that started like the remake boom um so this is kind of like the last gasp of like the post scream slasher era um Mm. and i don't know went out on a on a high note yeah and and that chainsaw remake was so markedly darker than freddy versus jason is right like it's in it is it is kind of that last gasp of like that humorous horror kind yeah it's of like like late 90s yeah yeah glossy fun horror i mean the yes. text chainsaw is kind of glossy looking too but also sure. tried to be gritty and i feel like that kind of yeah. led into kind of the the quote-unquote torture porn era that kind of leaned more into that um, exactly yeah just uh i don't know getting all warm and fuzzy talking about freddy versus jason same here <laughs> nick nick i don't remember from our first episode in friday the 13th where you land with freddy versus jason I don't think I selected it, so I don't know that we ever talked about it, and I honestly don't remember where I had it selected in that franchise either. Um, 
it was yeah it's way up there for me in this it would have been my next choice um and uh i mean i love it i love this movie and i i saved it for last so i watched it last night um Mm. knowing that i had loved it and it had been many years since i saw it i mean i'd seen this one several times before um really enjoyed it but it's been at least a decade so saved it for last kind of anticipating that i was going to be really disappointed to revisit it but uh, no i loved it it's a blast i i I think i might have liked it more revisiting it than i probably did originally because i just i think i can appreciate all of that stuff that you guys just i think summed up perfectly i i appreciated it way more now looking back like again you said you know it's like the pre-texas chainsaw it's really the last of the true like slasher icon canonical sequels in some ways um before the remake started before like this was and it came out like what like a year after jason x um so Mm. it was like weird because like both franchise that franchise jason uh friday 13th maybe you wouldn't say going strong following jason x but (laughs) it was going um and then yeah this comes out and then that's it for both franchises for a long time and really for slasher as a whole i mean halloween gets rebooted essentially um uh texas chainsaw gets gets remade spawns a new franchise and i think your point on how you know calling it like an early 2000s glossy horror movie is not only accurate it's it's interesting to look back on because what i think it is it's like it feels like such a studio production whereas i think Mm. texas chainsaw the remake and all those michael bay platinum dunes things are studio productions but try so hard not to look like studio productions but they're still like gorgeous and slick and it's it's interesting to just see this and like it feels like you're just like it's so hollywood it just feels like everything is just so glossy i don't don't know how else to put it um yeah but surprise not to cut you off uh no no please uh surprisingly gory too for what like it's i mean it's it's like Mm -hmm. over the top it's not like visceral gore but i don't know the 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 bed death where the guy gets folded in the bed is one of my favorite favorite jason kills and like just the the cornfield slaughter is i just yeah a lot of blood flow in this movie like more than you'd expect given you know it's it's the biggest budget in either franchise at the time um so they had a lot of money riding on it but yeah no they went all out it's funny, the Cornfield thing, I was watching that last night, looking back at it and being like, this came out just a few months before Kill Bill Volume 1, and it's really that spurting yeah. material <laughs> yeah. blood thing was popular in the year 2003. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I really think this is... Honestly, I think this is both franchises essentially at their strongest in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I don't think it gets enough credit. Like, if you look at... The, obviously, none of these movies garner, like, rave reviews from critics ever, and that's not to be expected, but I, I think this one doesn't get enough credit. Like, it's... It is dumb, but it also is, like, a very simple and effective way of bringing these two icons together, essentially. And, like, you know going into it with any one of these versus movies that there can't be a winner. Um, mm. there you, you can't no one's going to end either franchise in truly definitive form. You know, none of the creators are going to stand for that. So you go in knowing there's not going to be a winner, but it still brought them together in a way where I felt like that didn't even matter. Um, Because because it it wasn't just a clash. There's a story about, you know, it's mostly a slasher movie. And then there's a little bit of a fight at the end, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. I think, which I love. 
I think it, yeah, the ending almost doesn't matter, but I think it's because it delivers on the title. I feel like it would have been so easy to just have Freddy versus Jason fight for the last five minutes or whatever. But it's like Mm -hmm. your whole last act intermittently, but they're duking it out. Like, you know, like when they bring Freddy and Jason into the, or they bring Freddy into the real world. Yeah. Um, into that, that's like the cabin's burning down, and just like from there out, it's kind of like a balls to the wall, you know, WrestleMania slugfest between the two, and it's yeah, again, dumb but awesome. It's it's awesome. Yeah. It's a miracle it got made, frankly. I mean, like yeah. I, I know we're talking about how that's like crazy. There's no sequel, but if you looking back now, especially after the Friday the Thirteenth like rights battle and stuff, the fact that this movie was ever produced is like it's just like breathtaking. It's like. <laughs> It's weird, and I'll never forget, like, one of my favorite movie-going experiences, seeing this opening night in a packed theater, um, that opening weekend when it made so much money, um, and when there's that first sort of profile shot of them in the burning cabin, when they first come face-to-face, there's, I mean, I'll never forget, dude stood up in the theater and was like, it's fucking on! And everyone cheered. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. And it was great. It was such a, like, everyone was there to enjoy the dumb fun and like no one walked out without a smile on their face it was great no one was disappointed no one cared that no one won really it was just it's it's just such a fun like popcorn movie um yeah honestly like just talking about it now makes me want to like put it higher on my list (laughs) (laughs) it's it's weird because um the two complaints that you usually hear about it aside from the the homophobic remark um is that like hardcore Freddy fans feel like he kind of got the shaft because he only has one kill in the movie. Mm-hmm. Then hardcore Jason fans feel like it's more of an Elm Street movie because of how the story is, is constructed and how it's based on Hypnosil and dreams and all that. So it's like, mm-hmm. don't you see that they deliver the, by doing that on both ends, <laughs> they're, they're delivering the best of both worlds and kind of playing to the strengths of each character um, I don't know. I just always find mm-hmm. that funny. It's a little weird that they kind of make Jason a like a low key good guy to to fend off Freddy. But again, I just think yeah. that was that was the most straightforward way to bring the two of them together. I just remember the controversy yeah. with Kane Hodder not being cast as Jason. That is, people. Sorry, no, no. I was gonna say I know a lot of people were upset about that, but I'll, I'll never forget reading Ronnie Yu's rationale for not casting Kane Hodder, which is that I was a Ken Kersinger. I don't for yeah. some reason I'll never forget that name, which is weird. <laughs> but uh, that he had more sympathetic eyes. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like is, the I most mean, ridiculous reason in the world. That is like the one major bummer you have to bring up when you talk about Freddy versus Jason because Kane had been wanting to make that movie for a decade or whatever. Yeah. Um, and like everyone just assumed it would be his role. That said, I mean, I think Ken Kersinger does a hell of a job. It's yeah. when you see him square off against Freddy, like him having an extra whatever foot on Robert England kind of, yeah. you know, makes him a little more imposing. Uh, I really love the makeup on him, you know, like. He looks kind of tattered, and I don't know. Yeah. I, I do wish it was yep. Kane behind the mask, but I think if they had to recast him, they made a good choice. I would agree with that. I think his physical presence in that movie, like his stature, like you said, is it does add something to it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Great pick. Yeah, excellent pick. The only thing I'll add, I mean, it, 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 on the Kane Harder front, is he, I believe, is the only person to play both... Um, Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger because at the end of Jason goes to hell when right. Freddy's glove comes out, that's him with his hand in it. Um, so 
you know, grabbing the mask. So I guess on the technicality, (laughs) he may be the only person to have portrayed both of them, which is kind of kind of fun. But it is disappointing he didn't he didn't get to come back in Freddy vs. Jason. But anyway, we've we've talked enough about this movie we all three really enjoy, uh, which is great, and I'm very psyched to hear that. But Alex, you are now up in the second round, sir. Okay, um, I'm debating whether I mix it up and do a non-movie, but I think I got one more movie to play, mm. at least. Uh, and I'm going to go with A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Nice. Um, I feel like this movie's finally getting its due. It's been reappraised. Um, obviously, for many, many years, it was maligned as, you know, for the, the homoerotic subtext or just text as it often is in this movie. Um, but kind of like Halloween 3, where, like, people looked down on it because it was different, but then they kind of re- reassessed and realized it's still good, even though it's different. Um I think this movie, where it really works, is that Freddy is still dark and scary. Uh, We talked about how in Dream Warriors, he kind of starts to become a little campy. um, And it works in that movie. uh, Maybe less so in some of the later movies. But in this one, he's still scary. It's still horrifying. and, And it also delves into the kind of body horror. It basically doesn't necessarily follow the rules established by the first movie and any rules that are established by this one are ignored in all of the other sequels which is kind of unfortunate because him kind of being reborn through mark patton's character is is not only an interesting idea but more to the point a badass special effect that we get out of it um yeah yeah, um mark showstrom i I believe did the the gnarly effects on this one um but yeah, I, I kind of wish they built on that mythology, but everything else that came after it is is good enough. Um, a great score by Christopher Young, who had done Hellraiser 1 and 2, uh, or went on, would go on to do. Um, obviously, it's now celebrated for the queer themes, which is admirable, um, even if it wasn't necessarily intent, intended at the time. Um, Jack Shoulder, his, I, th- I want to say maybe his first three movies, or at least his first, th- his early movies. Um, he did this, Alone in the Dark and The Hidden, which are all like kind of low-key horror gems. Um, mm. And I just think, uh, yeah, the final act is is rock solid, where Freddy kind of comes through to the real world, and he attacks the pool party, and they have like the final confrontation. Um, and it's rare to see Freddy go after so many people at once. I'm not sure if we ever see that to this degree again um almost akin to that cornfield scene in freddy versus jason with Mm -hmm. jason but this is just freddy kind of just slashing people left and right at this pool party um always left a good impression on me um and also i think freddy's makeup is it's one of one of the best makeups again doesn't seem too rubbery and and he kind of stayed in the dark a lot like he did in the original so it's it's convincing excellent pick i i mean I'm with you on this. I think I only had one other movie that hadn't been drafted yet that I would have put above two. I've always been a fan and defender of two, and I've kind of shocked how many people before its more recent reappraisal really kind of shat on it, and I was just like, I don't get it. Like, I think this is great, and I loved, you know, you talk about the rules, but, like, they're making the rules because they don't have, you know, the sequel template to go with from... So the idea that he needs to... How do we bring Freddy back, right? Okay, the first one's such a hit. How do we do it? The idea that he has to be reborn again like, is like kind of a, a very interesting 
thought that he needs to take over somebody else's body and that's how he can be kind of brought back into this world um i thought that was like a killer and like you say that special effect is unbelievable like so awesome um yeah this is this has always been like one of my um favorites of the franchise and and i like it a lot um nick i'd love to hear your thoughts on it I really don't have that much to add, uh, except for to say this is one of the ones that I, I do remember seeing when I was much, much younger. And the mm-hmm. only thing I could remember from it, which really left the bad taste in my mouth, was like the the um, the gym teacher getting attacked by all the balls in the in his <laughs> office. Oh. And I was like, that that is just like that was it's unfortunate because like I remember that being so cartoony and silly um, mm-hmm. that I think I just missed and forgot about the rest of the movie, which like you said, is, is actually much more scary Freddy than what the sequels wound up being. Um, mm-hmm. So revisiting this was kind of a treat because, um, and also having read about, you know, the, the sort of reevaluations and, and rereadings and um, of this in recent years, um, though I haven't seen that documentary yet, um, but I've made it a uh, scream queen. Is that what it's called? Yeah. On, yeah. yeah. I've been meaning to watch that, but um, it's good. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. It's really great. Okay, and Mark Pines, um, I forget the name of it, but he's gonna he's gonna be in a new horror movie. Um, I just coming out. I forget. Yeah, I don't. I forget the name, the name of it, but yeah, but it's great to see that he's getting some more, some more work. Yeah, yeah. It was it was great. It was. I felt with this entry especially. I felt like kind of how I felt when we revisited the Child's Play franchise, which was another mm-hmm. one that I think I had really soured on because I'd, I'd seen them once when I was, you know, in, in high school and, and just had really poor memories of and revisiting it was a blast. Um, and I would totally agree that the final act of this movie, the pool party was like, um, I remembered none of that. And I was just so pleasantly surprised to revisit that and, and find that slaughter, um, was very unexpected. Uh, and, um, the effects are good. Yeah. I liked, I liked it a lot. It's high up there for me. Um, Surprisingly, because I, I went into this rewatch for this draft expecting that to be dead last. Oh, really? Well, I had never seen <laughs> some of the ones that I think are going some of to the be others? Okay. <laughs> dead okay, last. Okay, all right. <laughs> I was, that was my expectation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, Alex's second round pick. But, Nick, that means you're on the board with the final pick of the second round and then the first pick of the third round. Okay, I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna go with Nightmare Five, a Dream Child, with my next pick. Um, Interesting, bold. Yeah, I don't know. I think. I, I, what? Uh, unless I'm missing one. Oh well. No, don't, no, don't, I am don't gonna let go with this. <laughs> no, 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 no. I am gonna go with this because the the other okay. the other choice. I, I forgot that I have back to back. So that that does yeah chasing. yeah you're all right so i think i will go with five um what was it that i liked about five there was a lot that i did not like about five which is why it's not that high up on my list but what i did like about it yeah. was that i felt of all of the the sequels um the dream sequences uh, or maybe the design of the dream sequences and certainly like the end with um fred i felt like the makeup and the uh, art direction were stronger here than in some of the other sequels. Um, and that went a long way for me. Um, there's a lot of aspects that I did not particularly think were strong, but compared to the other sequels that are still left on the board, um, 
the art direction in, in, in those scenes goes a long way. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think for a franchise that's defined largely by like those dream sequences. Um, uh, I think really capturing that nightmare logic, uh, well is a major, you know, um, pro for any of the, the films that, that do that. And I felt like this one did it better than some of the rest. That's all I really have to say about this one. Um, all right. I, I'll just jump in real quick to say this is one of the films that came up the most in my estimation after this rewatch. This is one that <clears throat> I always just remember of being like, oh, this one's like grody and like nasty. And like certainly they actually like show you the flashback scene yeah. of, you know, Freddie's mom and stuff at the asylum and everything. And like that's. Yeah, I think kind of the low point of the movie, but the rest of it, I think, was a lot stronger than I remembered. And so it is one that really came up um, in my estimation of it. Um, because I just, pretty much most of what I remembered was that scene and just like when I was younger watching it and being like, oh, this is just like, this makes me kind of sick to my stomach. Like this, knowing yeah. what's going to happen here, you know, basically. Um, but the but the rest of the film around that, I think, is is really good really fun feels very much like we talked about that trilogy of three four five and feels like that i've really enjoyed the continued storyline of alice and dan in this film from four um anyway alex i want to give you a chance to talk about i'm sure you got a lot more interesting things to say (laughs) than i do i don't know about interesting but probably a lot more um (laughs) no it's it's interesting because i agree with everything you both said but i rank this one a lot lower on my list Mm. personally um i think that does some very interesting things i think the concept about alice being pregnant and being kind of haunted by freddie through the unborn baby's dreams is is very intriguing Mm -hmm. um but at the same time i think the movie is very bogged down by the by the backstory and the flashbacks um that said um yeah, the, the production design is very, like, stylized, and it makes it very interesting. Um, there's the the comic book dream sequence is, is uh, one of the most memorable, I think. Technically the, um, impressive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially for mm-hmm. the time, given what they had. Um, and also yeah. the, the motorcycle death, which I think is, like, H.R. So, Giger-inspired, yeah. is, is really yep. cool. Um yeah, the MC Escher esque church is again another like interesting design choice. Um, so I think it has you know it has some enter- enter- entertainment value to it. Um, doesn't rank quite as high for me, but I'm I'm okay with it here on the list. Nice, cool. Uh, all right, Nick, you have the back to back now, sir, in the first pick of the third round. Yeah, I'm gonna get a lot of shit for this. I think. Um, I think, I think. Um, <laughs> you go with what? your gut. I don't. Yeah, that's our motto. Go with your gut, man. Maybe I won't get that much shit for it. I'm, I'm gonna go with. It's a toss-up. It really is. Um, <laughs> Do you want me to roll another die? <laughs> no, I'm just gonna go. With the, I'm gonna go with the remake. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I mean, we're at the bottom Ooh. of the list now. I, yeah, I mean, we're the, we're in the final three here. You know, of the of the drafts. I I I'm just, but I would love to hear 
Well, let me just say that, like, of these three, yeah. I didn't like any of them. So, um, <laughs> oh, saying okay. That, saying right. that, <laughs> saying that I'm picking the remake doesn't mean that I necessarily. Um, I didn't hate them. I think I was just waiting. You know, first of all, when I saw Randy Harlan's name and I knew he was part of this franchise, I was expecting a lot more. So mm, maybe okay. there's a sense of disappointment that if I revisit four, it would be higher. Um, and then there was also some expectations for the remake because I knew how much people hated it. Um, mm. That maybe I was just expecting something much less and the fact that it was even passable um, <laughs> surprised me. Um, sure. Fair. Obviously, I hate that um, Freddie was recast. I don't think he should ever be anyone but Robert. I mean, Robert England is that character. He might as well not have made a remake. But since they did make it, um, the pros are that I think um, that leans a little bit more, again, towards the actual horror aspect of the franchise, which is a nice... At least their intentions were good. I think in bring in bringing that back, um, it's got a lot of the Platinum Dunes, Michael Bay sleekness that almost takes away from the movie. Um, mm. But I, yeah, I, th- I think I appreciated the fact that they tried to go in, a, in another, a little bit more straight horror direction. Um, one thing I will say that is almost criminal and and is just when they revisit the famous scenes um, from the original they're so markedly worse looking like when freddy mm-hmm. protrudes from the wall um, oh my god it's just yeah it's you know like if you're gonna remake a movie like make it improve upon it or at least try you know like if the effects are gonna be look that much worse do something different don't just hit those greatest hits notes because people expect them um it just yeah. was drawing comparisons to the original which is again the classic um those points were were terrible and i didn't think another con is that i don't think there's enough nightmare logic to it like i Mm -hmm. missed a lot of the i think you get it at the end a little bit where she's kind of sinking into the ground um but i missed like nancy running up the stairs and sinking into them like that's the kind of again what's scary about freddy for me not that he can just kill you but you're like you're in a nightmare like uh Mm. my nightmares are scary because i'm vulnerable because i can't run fast i always am like running through mud um and when they capture that in these movies it's really a strength and um it's almost like they abandoned that in the remake in favor of just like straight boiler room imagery which was nice again like you know you lose some of that i think in the franchise eventually but that yeah like that was kind of cool but um yeah for every positive thing i can say about it there there is a negative but again we're at the bottom of the list and i I do have to say yeah I liked it better than than four, I have to say. Okay. All right. Hey, I hear you. I wanted Look, more from Rennie Harlan. That's all I can say. I, was, <laughs> mm-hmm. I really I hear you. I love Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger is a fucking brilliant movie. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. I'll also say, like Five Dream Child, this came up more in my estimation on this rewatch. But that's primarily because I remember hating this movie when I saw it in 2010, whenever it came out or whatever. And I was just like, oh my god, this is whatever. I'm still not a fan <laughs> of it. Like, uh, I think this would pr- probably be like, the, this is, I think, last on my list if I'm ranking in order with Dream Child right above it. But like I said, both of them did come up in my estimation. I think, like, 
there's no playfulness to Freddy in this, which I guess is them trying to go in a different direction. He's supposed to be, it seems like, more sinister, right? He's retconned to be not just a child murderer, but a child molester in this film. Yes. Um, so he is like this darker kind of more uh, more evil. Is that a, I don't know. Is that a more accurate term? I, both of those things are horrendous, right? But he is like this more sinister character. Um, and I, I feel like they wanted to go in that direction, but to me that just felt so like... That's not Freddy, you know? Even if you're not going to go the dropping the B word 12 times a movie or whatever, you know, having that little bit of playfulness like Alex mentioned in the first film, you know, that's what defines Freddy. And it also, every time he talked, it just felt like ADR. It just felt, yeah. and maybe that was a conscious choice, like it, and or maybe the makeup on Jackie Earl Haley was just like so difficult for him to like talk through that they had to do it that way or something. But like it, it just, I know maybe mean. it was a conscious choice. Cause I wanted to feel like ephemeral or like this nightmare all around. Like you can't escape from him sort of presence. Um, but it just, it was just so distracting to me um, watching it. There's like no characterization. The Nancy in this film is so different than like the Nancy of the original where I'm just so on board with Heather Langenkamp and like what she's doing. And this one, I know so little about Nancy except for the fact that she works in that diner, right. you know, I, I mean like, I, and, and you just, you don't get the time to really like let that character like be revealed to you either. Um, I mean, on one hand, it's like great that a movie just goes like, goes quick and everything but the on the other hand you're losing kind of these um aspects of of characterization i think that can be really helpful um anyway that's enough yammering for me alex please jump in tell us your thoughts on the remake sir oh man um more yammering i uh this is my least favorite um and i'm not an anti-remake person in general or anti-platinum dunes for that matter i I don't mind their Texas Chainsaw. I think it's pretty solid. I like their Friday Thirteenth remake a good mm-hmm. amount, um, but this one just just misses the mark almost in total for me. It, it kind of lacks everything that I love about the original and the franchise in general. Um, for me, the ideal remake is something that takes the core concept and then you know does a whatever it is something original or at least something updated or or what have you. Um, Maybe one that comes to mind is the Dawn of the Dead remake, uh, which I think, oh, yeah. you know, it's people in a mall with zombies, but beyond that, the similarities are, are pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, I don't know, they like several times over almost start to go in a different direction, and then they're like, wait, wait, that's, that's, not, that's not Nightmare Elm Street. We have to do it just like Wes Craven did it, but way worse mm-hmm. for some reason. Um, yeah, definitely redoing the iconic scenes is, is the most glaring Um error in their judgment i think um not only to to remake them in general which reminds subconsciously or otherwise the viewer that this is a remake and there's a superior movie that you've already seen but they look so much worse despite being almost 30 years later like they're all like the the him through the wall with cgi is just terrible the glove in the in the bathtub which is such like a it's like a creepy scene in the original. And I remember getting laughs in the theater with the way it like ducks back under the water. Um, yeah. What, uh, Jackie Earl Haley, who I think is a great actor in general, um, cannot get past the voice either. Um, I don't like his look either. They tried to make him look more like a burn victim. And I think they CGI out, like hollowed out some of his face, but it's just like, I don't know. CGI wasn't there yet in 2010 to, to pull that off successfully. Um, obviously, no one can really replace Robert England. That was nobody 
was going to fill those shoes 100% successfully. Um, and I think Jackie Earl Haley did fine with the material he was given. But yeah, no, can't get past that voice. Um, I uh, think the my maybe my two favorite parts are the introduction of the micro-nap phenomenon which Mm. um is like a very interesting thing that you know eventually your body just shuts down and makes you sleep for you know whether it's a few seconds here or there if you're if you're up for that many hours um but kind of doesn't really do a lot with it um and when there are nightmare sequences it's very obvious that you're in a nightmare something about the original elm street obviously in the sequels you're looking for but in the first one sometimes you don't know whether nancy is or whatever the character for that matter is awake or dreaming until freddy shows up but i feel like in this movie every time it's a nightmare there's like ash falling from the sky or it's like it's like a filter on it that Mm. looks way different than than you know the the daytime scenes or the awake scenes um and i also appreciate but also hate that they kind of balked at it is if they're gonna take a new direction um they tease that freddie was wrongfully accused which kind of makes more sense as to why whatever evil is possessing him or allowing this why he would come back for revenge because in as much as i love the original and think the concept is ingenious like why is he coming back to kill these kids like yes the parents killed him but he was also killing them so it's kind of i don't know evened out so if he was wrongfully accused it would be like okay now i want revenge for for this mm-hmm. um but no they they walk back on that um and yeah you guys mentioned they made him a child molester which is a weird choice for a number of reasons namely that they make him have his glove as a human as he's molesting kids like what is he doing they show like i think they find a picture of the girl she or she has scars on her back or something it's like there's no justifying or you know i don't need to go they don't need to go in depth as to how or why he was molesting them but like, why did he need a glove if he wasn't killing them? If he, if molestation was his end game, I don't know. Just uh, weird choices all across the board. Um, the so the story goes that the director didn't want to do it. Um, he directed the "Smells Like Teen Spirit" music video. It was like his big claim to came, claim to fame. Oh, wow. Came from the music video world. For whatever reason, they approached him a few times and he kept saying no. And I don't know if they just really wanted him. I don't know if Michael Bay knew him from the music video industry or what. Um, but yeah, I, I wish it had gone to a filmmaker who cared more about the property or was more more familiar with the property um, yeah. and and wanted to do right by it. Uh, because I think there could be, you know, as much as it pains me to, to have an Elm Street without, Freddy, uh, without Robert England, it had to happen eventually. And I think it still could be solid. Like, again, the, the Texas Chainsaw remakes were solid. The... the Friday remake was solid. Rob Zombie's Halloween, I have my issues with, but at least, you know, he did something a little bit different and something a little bit similar. But no, this one just, I don't know, misses all the marks for me. Yep. Yeah, I, I do think I, it's, Yeah, I agree. Is it Samuel Bayer's, to this date, his only feature film? I know he came from the music video world, and I know, I think this was his first feature, and I think, I don't think he's returned. I'm <laughs> um, looking that up right now. Yes, it is his only film. Wow. Which is, says a lot, maybe. Um, yeah. yeah. Although if he didn't want to do it, yeah. Yeah, the child molester thing, I guess that I always kind of just, it was, I don't know, I guess kind of, I always assumed that was a component of Freddy from Nightmare 1, 
that just went unspoken just because like the fact that he focused on young children um it's definitely kill. it's definitely heavily implied and i think maybe depending on who you ask that was even in like an early draft of the original script that makes um, sense but just the fact that they go to he's not yeah, you don't need to see it and yes and then to do that like you and they said, say like he's not they don't call him a child molester and killer they just call him child molester and in the original right. they just call him child killer right. um not to yeah. say he didn't necessarily do both but like this one his mo was strictly whatever sexual abuse yeah um which is just such a weird yes they wanted to go dark and sinister and like i appreciate that particularly sign of the times when we're in the again the the torture porn era um but yeah of all the of all the 80s icons even the original freddy was like a little bit of fun and this movie just just lacks that yeah i'd agree with that stacked cast that's what i'll say i mean rooney mara kyle Mm -hmm. gallner connie Britton, clancy brown i mean there's there's a lot of great folks in this in this film i I wish they had better material i guess to to be execute basically but well that is nick's first pick of the third round but that means we're coming back to you alex it is your third round selection now okay i am going outside of the movies right i can do that i'm yeah i'm I'm the boss (laughs) yes the commissioner you can do what you want um so even though the movie hasn't been played yet i think my favorite kill of the franchise is debbie's death in nightmare on Elm street 4 which uh she's turned into a cockroach and then squished Mm -hmm. in in a roach motel um i don't like bugs to begin with um and like body horror can kind of skeeve me out so just to kind of combine the two and it just seems it's also i mean maybe it's not on paper but watching it it feels like one of the longest death scenes because she first she transforms into part cockroach her, her arms break as she's lifting weights the cockroach arms comes out and then she kind of transforms more and more into a cockroach before getting squished um i don't know i just think it was at a time when they were kind of coming becoming increasingly outlandish the the kills and that was really why a lot of people were watching them. Um, I appreciate that they still could be horrific. Um, and the the effects are by Screaming Mad George, who did the, the infamous shunting in society. And he was yeah. basically basically the guy you would call when you want um, nightmarish body horror stuff. And maybe you couldn't afford Rob Botine from The Thing. <laughs> um, but like he, he always delivered. He did... Uh, like I said, the, the shunting he did, uh, Alex Winter's mutation in Freaked. Just like a lot of really cool, almost trippy, almost like psychedelic take on body horror, I guess you'd say. Um, yeah, I just it's just, there's there's other kills that are way more iconic, maybe scarier, more impactful, but this one just always stuck with me. Nice. Yeah, I think this was number three on my list of kills. So this, this made my top three, knowing that we had to... <laughs> get three of them like written down as to what I take. But yeah, this was number three for me. I, I love, always love this kill as well. I hate bugs. I think it's so gross too, but like not in a, makes me feel like I need a shower way in a, <laughs> in a, just the right amount of gross like, fun. <laughs> yeah. The, the heebie jeebies kind of. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. This one's a great one too. And I love that. Like, you know, it'd be one thing if he just turns her into a cockroach and she's in the, the, the roach motel and he, like, squishes her. But, like, 
it starts out where she's you know lifting and then he like breaks her arms you know and then from those broken arms the bug like te- uh and not antennae but like their their little arms come out of that and everything and it's just that whole like gross metamorphosis that that um she goes through yeah this one's this one's fun and and gross in all the right ways Do you like that bug death, Nick? <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I mean, it was on it was high up on my list of deaths too, and I knew it would be picked. Um, but I'm I'm a huge fan of Cronenberg's The Fly, so I think this yeah. certainly evokes that, and definitely uh, owes a lot to that. Yeah, so um, it's hard not to love it. Yeah, well, I and love it's it. definitely I... a highlight of four for me. Oh, yes. we haven't talked about four yet, but yeah, we have not. No. But guess what? We can do that right now because that's what will be my selection here uh, for the final pick of the third round, which is uh, Night Run Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. Um, Once again, uh, another one that um, had gone up in my estimation. Not that I like, you know, this was like a middle of the pack nightmare film for me, pretty much. Um, And, you know, it... I forgot kind of how like fun and enjoyable it was. And it starts to get a little into that over the top, uh, realm with, um, the sunglasses at the beach and everything on Freddy. And it starts to get a little over the top in terms of being maybe, maybe a touch too silly, but I also just loved the continuing story from three, um, you know, going and getting to see Kincaid come back and getting to see Kristen come back, even though, you know, like kind of we alluded to uh, earlier in the episode, like they meet their demise fairly quickly. But the fact that like kind of Kristen can transfer her powers to Alice and then this kind of begins the Alice storyline that will continue on into five. Um I think it's like a really solid like middle entry in that like trilogy that we were just um, that we've been talking about, and I loved like the um, uh, introductions to so many of these new characters in this one. You know where they're like meeting at the high school, and um, and I am blanking on the name of the character um, who's like the smarty pants um, who tells Debbie she can. Oh, God. oh um, uh, the one who has asthma. Yeah, I want to say it's like Sheena, yeah. but I can't I can't remember her name. Um anyway, I think like she's like a super fun character and the and, and just the group of teens that we're introduced to are just a lot of fun and not like you know, they're not like anyone who's annoying who you want to see killed. Like I always think that's like a problem if you're making a horror movie and like you make a whole characters cuz you want them to be killed. I think all of them are kind of like fun and enjoyable in their own way and are like really um compelling characters and and i enjoyed um watching them uh throughout the movie um so yeah i i think four is a real strong you know entry maybe not top tier but definitely middle of the pack and and i'm happy to be able to pick it up as my final my final film here yeah uh i agree it's it's middle middle of the road for me i think there's a lot to like about it but ultimately my biggest issue with it is it feels like they were trying to do Dream Warriors again, yeah. Um, in terms of the ensemble and kind of the the dream powers, although they they kind of surface in a slightly different way here. Um, for for better or for worse, obviously Dream Warriors is a fan favorite and it was successful at the time. Um, but again, yeah, it, it kind of felt a little little insulting to bring back all these characters, which is 
somewhat of a rarity for for a slasher sequel this this late in the game but and then just kill them off yeah. um kind of unceremoniously um uh, we lose patricia arquette we get tuesday night which is you know i think this was their first movie so it's a pretty pretty big shoes to fill but it almost doesn't matter because she's not the lead we get yeah. um alice and it, i like her but again she kind of just feels like the uh, you know replacement Kristen. Mm-hmm. um and yeah it's it's a little clever progression to how she pulls pulls people um or excuse me gains the the abilities or whatever personality traits from her friends as they die oh, yeah. um yeah, I'm remembering now that there's the invisible karate fight scene in this yes. as well, which I'm like, yeah, that's also very silly. <laughs> 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 yeah, <laughs> and um, she and she gets those skills. <laughs> yeah, definitely leans more into the silliness, more of the one-liners. Um, it's got like the pizza kill, which is yeah. you know fun, but you know, goofy. Has mm. the cockroach scene, which we just discussed. Um, but it also has a dog named Jason peeing fire to bring Freddy back to life. Like, I don't know, just, just a lot of, uh, ebbs and flows in quality here. Uh, one thing I do want to note, we talk about Rennie Harlan, uh, rightfully so. Yeah. His next movie after this was Die Hard 2, which is kind of crazy, but also the writers, um, one of them went on to win an Oscar for LA confidential. The other two are the brothers who, uh, created the Riddick franchise with pitch black. So like, Nice. Again, pretty pretty stacked behind the camera. Um, mm-hmm. Robert Shea always knew or kind of recognized up-and-coming talent and would give them a chance. Um, yeah. So even though it doesn't 100% work for me, uh, it's yeah kind of exciting to see filmmakers who will go on to do bigger things get their get their feet wet in, in a slasher franchise. Yeah. I don't mean to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but just talking about you brought up Robert Shea and recognizing talent. I, I just turned in the notes for um, the first Final Destination movie to Matt Gorley and Paul Russ there for the With Gorley and Russ podcast. And um, the guy who wrote um, Final Destination, he originally wrote Bob Shea when he was a teenager and had first found out about Freddy Krueger and watched like the first five movies that were out at that time. And like wrote him like a treatment for a prequel to a nightmare on elm street and like he got like a form letter of like we don't accept unsolicited blah blah blah. (laughs) but he wrote back kind of like in his like teenage indignation of like hey i just spent like 25 dollars watching your movies like the least you could do is like read my script and he sent that directly to bob shay and shay or or, or sent the treatment excuse me directly to him and shay like to his credit like read the treatment and was like hey like look like these are some notes i would give you like i appreciate you being a fan like stay in touch basically and they like stayed in touch through all through um uh jeff is it i believe his name's jeffrey reddick who wrote um, yeah. final destination and uh so all through high school he would stay in touch and they would send him promotional stuff from like new line films and everything and then like after he did his first year of uh college like he got an internship at new line and then had been and then just started working there after college and stuff and so he worked there for like 11 years i think before like um he brought um final destination um you know he he originally envisioned it as an x-files episode but someone he knew at new line was like you should expand this into a feature don't just send in a you know a spec script to x-files so anyway i just speaking of bob shay and recognizing talent that was just something that is very recently on my mind as i had done you know the 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 uh, notes for uh, and research on final destination for for the guys so 
and and here he is taking a chance on this high school kid and staying in touch with him only for him to hand bob shea a new franchise so kind that, of a fun that is, tie-in that's that's such a good story like a feel-good story you, you rarely hear those like a studio head like yeah, even exactly. taking the time to <laughs> to read it let alone like give some notes on it and stay in touch yeah no that's awesome yeah yeah so that's uh fun fun story tied in there nick man i'd love to hear do you have any thoughts on dream master besides you expected more from rennie harlan no i mean that was that's the headline <laughs> okay think. all right um, yeah which maybe isn't isn't fair um but yeah no i think you guys touched upon all of it it is it's a weird like i know there's like the trilogy within the franchise here um mm-hmm. And it's weirdly structured when you think about it that, you know, you have Kristen as your heroine for one and a half movies and then Alice for one and a half movies. Like, yeah, it's kind of like like psycho-esque in the way that you're expecting Kristen to, to lead this this movie again. And she's killed off halfway through. And then mm-hmm. there's just a replacement. Um, like structurally, that's very bizarre. Um, it is. And maybe definitely. that kind of like turned me off. I, I, I don't know. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I had preconceived you know expectations for for rennie harlan and uh, i think if i revisit this one maybe it'll it'll rise up a little bit as it did for you it sounds like but um yeah for now was just didn't do much for me with exception of the roach kill which again is is a highlight really of the series yeah well excellent then i will go uh right from uh my final pick of the third round to my first choice of the fourth round I'm going to pick my favorite kill. It's already been mentioned in this episode. It's that Giger-inspired motorcycle death in Dream Child, the fifth film that uh, Dan uh, is killed by. I've always loved this one. Even even back in the day when I wasn't you know, as much of a fan of five and, and this rewatch, you know, elevating it for me. Um, but that one where like the wires start to come through his knuckles and everything and he just becomes part of the machine is just like uh, so like creepy and gross and like but like so like fun and interesting like like at the end he almost looks like a mad max character you know it's like almost like a mortan joe or something like if he was you know become kind of more melded to like the machines he uses kind of uh uh way and i was just it it, it struck even stronger this time rewatching it i was like man this is just like an all-time kill in this franchise um so yeah that's my that's my uh my uh kill of the franchise there yeah excellent choice i i I know we briefly mentioned it before but yeah i think definitely a highlight of that movie and and yeah one of the best kills nice nick you picked dream child was uh how, how does that dan's death there rank for you that sequence is is yeah is among my favorite sequences really in the series i well I have a, a soft spot for like Tetsuo the Iron Man and um, yeah. oh, you know yeah. and, like Videodrome and I think it, it's interesting because you have like such an organic kill with like the cockroach and four and to have this mechanical one that really feels like Tetsuo like is was unexpected um, and yeah uh, having not seen that movie before and watching it in the last week I was uh, particularly giddy that was a good one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, like it really is. The effects are strong. I mean, like practical oh, yeah. effects are always great, but it really looks fantastic. So, 
No, it really does. Yeah, and I, I, I almost mentioned Tetsu of the Iron Man in my description of it, and, and I hadn't, so I'm glad that you brought that up, because that was another thing that was very striking about it that I, I thought of. But anyway, that's my fourth round selection. Alex, it's back to you for your fourth round pick. You have one other film or your best side character in the franchise. I'm going side character. Um, I think one of the benefits or strengths, I should say, of the Elm Street franchise over, say, Friday the 13th is that it has a lot of nuanced side characters. Um, It's not just about the final girl, as many other slashers of the era were. Um, And my favorite one is Kincaid, who is, of course, introduced in three and then like all the other returning characters unceremoniously killed off in four. Um, but what I like about him is on the page, he could have been either like your standard comedic relief or kind of like the standoffish jerk. And he kind of walks a narrow line between those two and is, I don't know, wildly entertaining. He's, you know, rough around the edges, but kind of a big teddy bear. He's lovable. Um, has, some of the best lines in the series um i was i love oh great now that's my dick that's killing me um just uh yeah i don't know just always always a smile on my face when he's on the screen um i wish he survived for longer Mm -hmm. um but that said uh maybe the world just wasn't ready for that much kincaid but uh i i i want to see uh what he could have done had he lived but yeah no it's uh i don't know just always fun to watch him and uh yeah that's all i got nice yeah he, <laughs> he's like Raphael from the ninja turtles rough around the edges but he's he's a sweetheart uh underneath good way uh, to put it yeah and that he he was top of my list for side character so it's a good thing it's a good thing you drafted him but i imagine he's a tie on many people's lists because he's such a great character uh uh nick anything to add for uh about kincaid there uh no no he wasn't top of my list but he's up there oh okay a tease well perhaps one of nick's upcoming picks here because he has you have your your favorite kill and side character of the franchise i do um yeah, I guess I'll do best side character um, or favorite side character. Um, I don't know if I revisit the series again. If I revisit it, it might change. But I really liked Mark in uh, in five. Um, I think his name's Mark, the the comic nerd. Oh yeah. Um, oh okay. A because uh, you know I, I like I like rooting for the nerd and um, I, I I like that he seems to be to me one of the like purest and kindest characters in this in this franchise like i really was rooting for him and like and when he goes to bat for everyone and and you know becomes his comic character um apart from that being like a pretty technically awesome looking scene um yeah it was like rooting for him you know um Mm -hmm. not rooting for him to die where you, you you do with so many slasher characters um in many 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 slasher movies uh really rooting for him uh and he like he sticks with alice right the whole time i think uh, i forget the name of the other girl who starts doubting the whole thing and kind of breaks away from the group but he's loyal and uh and nerdy and uh yeah i 
I like him. Nice. <laughs> Great <Yeah>. pick. Thanks. <laughs> uh well gosh nick you've got the back-to-back here and we're going into round five so you got the first selection here in the final round of the draft yeah i'll do my best kill um for this next choice i kind of want to do this one with like an honorable mention tied to it (laughs) okay i don't know if that's allowed but i think it has to be um i'll allow it okay thanks um (laughs) Because, uh, yeah, so I want to pick Tina Gray in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, mm. I, it's a classic. Uh, and, and the kill that I think when I first saw this movie stuck with me the most. Um, it's, like, really brutal and violent and, you know, creative. And you've got the upside-down set or whatever. Um, there's a lot of elements to it that are are are, are great. Um, and obviously, and then Tina comes back several times throughout the movie. And she's bloodied and in a body bag and i don't know she she that that kill really sets the tone for the the entire franchise really um it's it's just so brutal and unexpected and um but i was going to pick uh julie in new nightmare which just because i think it's it's an ode to the tina kill um and it's a really nice sort of homage to the tina kill but what i like about the julie character is that you know she's a likable character um and they do that in New Nightmare. It's such a simple, sort of quick. Um, they don't prolong it, but it's really effective. Um, partially because she's a likable character, and also partially because it harkens back to like one of the most iconic moments of the entire franchise. So um, mm. I don't know. Those are like sister kills to me, and I like them both. But I got to go with Tina because just the effect it had on me when I first watched this movie um, it was it was pretty shocking. Yeah, Tina was a close second on my list. Um, also, something I wanted to mention, you, we we said a psycho-esque twist earlier, and I remember my first time watching Elm Street, I thought Tina was going to be the lead because she's in the opening scene, and normally when you're, you're either killed off in the opening, it's like a cold open, or that becomes your lead character, your final girl. Um, so I always thought it was interesting that, that she's the opener, but doesn't die then, but then has a death scene shortly thereafter. Um, yeah, also a great side character, I think. And yeah, I wish I wish she acted more. I'm I'm surprised she did. I mean, she had a couple. She was in Better Off Dead, I think, a few other notable roles. But um, yeah, no, good good choice. Great great death scene. Yeah, thanks. Well, Alex, we know what your selection is going to be here. There's <laughs> only one more film to pick, but give it to us. Uh, fine. Uh, <laughs> Freddy's Dead. Um, so a little, little context, um, I revisited the original seven movies, um, last year, the Coolidge Corner Theater in Boston, or Brooklyn technically, did a marathon, like, it was like a 12-hour marathon, all seven movies on 35mm. Nice. Um, it was awesome, um, and that, Freddy's Dead was always my least favorite, uh, of the original seven, not not counting the the remake, um, but seeing it all back to back with an audience, also half asleep at this point because it, it runs from midnight to noon the next day. Um, I actually liked Freddy's Dead a little bit more than uh, Part Five, Dream Child, um, only because I think Freddy's Dead is not good as an Elm Street movie, but just as like an entertaining '80s kind of campy, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
it has a lot of entertainment value to it i guess is mm-hmm. is uh is where i landed on it there's there's some fun to it there's again terrible treatment of freddy as a character and really as the mythology the mythology in general is is super goofy um but there's there's some good stuff in it uh another good cast yafit koto from alien Brecken meyer um i mean cameos from johnny depp tom arnold and roseanne um <laughs> maybe those aren't the the best but alice cooper plays freddy's dad that's kind of cool mm-hmm. um End title credit song by Iggy Pop with a great montage of because this was supposed to be the final Freddy movie, um, but yeah, just uh, I'm so glad it wasn't like <laughs> New Nightmare is such a good send off for the character as opposed to this, which is very you know kind of a uh, flaccid kind of unfulfilling <laughs> ending, even though they tried to put it in 3D. Um, but yeah, it's uh. I'm I'm okay with it being this low, um, but yeah, I uh, that's Freddy's dead. I'm glad he wasn't really dead. Nice. I I, I, I our bottom three appear to be the same because I have Freddy's dead above Dream Child above the remake basically as well. Um, I've always kind of had a softer spot for Freddy's dead than most people. I feel like who who are fans of the franchise like. You know, one of the big criticisms it gets is that it's, you know, relatively bloodless and, you know, it's too silly and the Freddy characters, you know, the, the everything about their stuff with it is kind of ridiculous and everything, both having a daughter and then like the dad stuff and everything. It just is unnecessary, I think, to a lot of people. But I think there's some really dark stuff in here, even though it's not a particularly bloody film, like... It didn't um, get chosen by me because my number one was on the board for best kill. But that giant Q-tip in the ear kill is, like, so up there. And that whole sequence, that whole nightmare sequence where he's got all those pins and then he drops all the pins, too. And they just sound like a cacophonous, like, explosions and everything. Like, that that always affected me. That, that death, I thought, was, like, so, like, great. That whole nightmare sequence and everything. And there's also the really dark stuff, like um, um, Tracy's uh, nightmares with her dad. You know, that's not a particularly gruesome or gory, but it is dark. Like, her nightmare sequences um, having to deal with with him. Um, So I've always had a soft spot for it, even though it's, like, too silly and ridiculous at times. Those cameos are kind of ridiculous and unnecessary. And I would agree it's too silly with Freddy and, and everything. Um, and some of it's over the top, like the whole video game yeah. sequence and everything. Although I would contend that there's kind of an homage in that too, too. Um, because, you know, Brecken Meyer's like, I'm not like you, dad. And his dad's more like a general, generic kind of regular dude kind of jock type because he plays tennis and everything. And yet at the end when Brecken Meyer's killed, it's like Freddie whipping him with a towel to make him fall off the, uh, <laughs> the, the cliff into all his like dads or whatever. I'm like, I think that's a reference to two. Um, I never thought about that. Yeah. It's just, it struck me rewatching it this time. So I, I've, I've always kind of had a soft spot for Freddie's dead, but Nick, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Freddie's dead. I guess I, I'll say that, yeah, like, I, obviously I didn't like it. It's at the bottom of my list, as it <laughs> probably was for all of us. I think the fact that it was, people went out of their way to choose best kill and best side character before picking the last movie, like everything else, <laughs> says a lot. That being said, um, 
because it's so silly and ridiculous and over the top, like I, I have to embrace those moments like the most like just because it goes in that direction like the video game kill which is so stupid and terrible and like I hate it in so many ways but it's also so much fun like as a gamer as just like if I can just miss the fact that it's part of a series and I'm just like enjoying it for what it is and like you said Adam, um, the pin the pin drops I, I think is a very clever sort of thing um also dark like it reminds me of stand by me like that his mother or whatever has like basically oh, yeah. made him deaf by abusing him so much mm-hmm. um uh yeah there's well there's things i like about about it for sure um but i think it, embracing it for all of its like silly over the top ridiculous like really slapstick um excesses uh, there's you can find stuff to enjoy. Um, so I yeah, like even though it's on the bottom of my list, I can't say like I outright like it's not like I would never rewatch it. It's fun. It's stupid fun. Yeah, yeah. You, Freddie you breaking mentioned... the fourth wall and saying great graphics is just like yeah. an all timer. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, it's pretty much Looney Tunes with, with yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you actually bring up uh, you the 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 stuff with the mom too because I was talking about like um. Uh, Tracy's dad there this is the first one that really kind of ties in the like um, horrible parenting and how it's like messed up the kids like Mm -hmm. the the earlier entries it's a lot more of like the parents keep the kids in the dark and don't want to let the secret of what they've done be revealed essentially Um, but they're not like outwardly horrible parents but in this you have like yeah his mom who makes him deaf Tracy's dealing with her abusive uh, father and you have Maggie, aka Catherine Kruger, who you know you find out is the daughter of Freddie, basically. Like this one is really like the one that ties it all to. You have Breckin Meyer being like right the, his troubled relationship with his dad. Yeah, this one. Oh, I, I, it's kind of striking me now as uh, we're talking about it, how much this one really ties in the like horrible parenting and the effects it has on on kids. Essentially, um, I will anyway. say as a caveat that is actually very fascinating. I, I've never thought about that, um, but I. I want to, it's Dream Child, I believe, has the girl whose mother like is always telling her to watch what she eats and stuff, and like feeds her till she's yeah. forced to she does. Yeah. Kind of in a similar one, vein, but and you have Kristen's mom who's like doesn't want to pay her any attention because she's yeah, got like yeah. her boyfriend coming over, kind of. So there's like there was some elements like that, but they were never as overtly, um, I guess, cruel to their kids. Yeah, they I definitely lean more into one. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting, but. The, that's actually going to tie into my selection for um, for my side character because it's from Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, and that's Yafet Kodo as Doc. And I think nice. now that this whole conversation is happening, it's making me realize one of the things I really love about Doc is how much he is there for these kids. And, it, you know, so, so much of this franchise is about, like, parental figures or authority figures who, like, either don't care or are keeping kids in the dark or are outwardly cruel like we're talking about in this film. Um and how that has messed up, but he is someone who's there. He, you know, buys in relatively quickly to what's going on and is like helping them throughout the story. Um, and I've always just, I mean, Yafet Koto is fantastic. He's awesome in everything, but I've really loved him in this character and was like so happy to see him in this franchise, even when I was younger, you know, having seen Alien and stuff and like knowing who he was. Um, but like it was just such a like 
breath of fresh air to see Yafet Kodo in this uh, film as well. Um, and I love him as an actor and I love his character. I think he's, he's awesome. And um, kind of what the characters in this film needed, like someone they could go to for help. I mean, him and Maggie both to a degree. And obviously we learned why Maggie's so important. Um, but yeah, I, I'm picking Yafet Kodo there to, uh, to round out this draft essentially. Good choice. Didn't see that coming, but you're right. Oh. Yeah, I um I mean, you know, you took my number one choice, Alex, so I had to I had to <laughs> go to someone else. I think I wrote down like four or five um for mine. Weirdly enough, I had I had um Leslie Dean as Tracy on my list from Freddy's Dead as well. Um I think she's a really great character and you know, the the, 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 the structure of Freddy's Dead is weird because you kinda think John Doe, uh, played by Sean Greenblatt, is gonna like be your main character. And then yeah. you it gets switched again and it's it's um the Maggie Burroughs character. Um but Tracy kinda you would think is that like younger teen girl who kinda would fall into the final girl uh realm and a lot of the other entries of the film. But obviously they're dealing with an older kind of final girl here in, in Maggie. Um and anyway, and I like I like Tracy's arc. I think she's dealing with I think she's dealing with a lot of stuff and is doing so like uh, really well acted and, and doing a great job with that character. Um, anyway, so to round out the draft, to recap it for everybody, in the first round, Nick took Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Uh, Alex took A Nightmare on Elm Street, and I took Dream Warriors. Uh, in the second round, I went back-to-back -back with Freddy vs. Jason. Alex took A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And Nick took Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Uh, in the third round, Nick took the remake. Alex took Debbie's death in Nightmare 4. That's the bug death where she gets uh, crushed in that roach motel. Uh, I took Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. And then in the fourth round, I took Dan's motorcycle death from Nightmare 5, uh, Alex took best side character in Kincaid. Nick took Mark as uh, the best side character in uh, Nightmare 5, The Dream Child. Uh, in the fifth round, Nick took Tina's death from the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Alex took Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. And I took Doc as my side character. This has now concluded the Nightmare on Elm Street draft uh what a great one alex thank you so much for coming on to do this this has been fantastic thank you yeah no problem this was awesome thank you for yeah. having me yeah absolutely yeah. i don't want to keep you uh any longer because you've been so wonderful and gracious with your time already um is there anything you'd like to plug before you go anywhere people can find you online um you can find me brocar fan on twitter and instagram um i'm alex's legend is my personal twitter um i use my instagram brocarfan as both personal and the site um also brocarfan.com i highlight horror merchandise i also occasionally release vhs tapes uh we're just finishing up fulfilling terrifier 2 orders gonna announce something new pretty soon um Sign up for Screenbox, uh, horror yeah. streaming service, $5 a month, even cheaper if you get an annual plan. We've got a lot of exclusives. We have The Outwaters coming very soon. We have Terrifier 2. Uh, a lot of cool documentaries if you're into that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, oh, God, so much stuff to plug. I'm also an yeah. independent filmmaker. Uh, if you look up Lockbridge Productions on YouTube, uh, you can find a bunch of my shorts there. 
my most recent one and what I think is my strongest effort is called The Nurturing. Um, if you just look up The Nurturing Horror Short on YouTube, you'll find it there. Uh, I think that's everything. You can also find some of my writing on Bloody Disgusting. They're my number one outlet right now for longer form content. Um, nice. I do a weekly column there, which is kind of like a Reader's Digest version of Broke Horror Fam, where I highlight uh, five cool collectibles announced each week. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's me. Uh, tweet me. Talk about movies. Whatever. Um, tell Nick he sucks for not putting the original at number one. <laughs> And, no, no, and robbing new nightmare from you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, I chose you. Ruined my whole strategy. Uh, no, don't do that. This is a great list. Uh, instead, tweet nice things about Freddy versus Jason at all of us. There you go. There it there is. You go. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Alex. Thank you. We really appreciate yeah. it, man. This has been wonderful. And uh, for everyone listening, uh, tune in next time for a TB to be determined episode. We're not, we're not sure yet, but uh, just. Just you know what? If you just follow us, it'll just the new episodes will show up for you, and you don't have to worry about anything else. So uh, I encourage you to do that. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time. The song you heard in this episode is "You Are a Monster" by Monroeville Music Center. It's being used under a CC BY Creative Commons license and was accessed from freemusicarchive.org. If you'd like to hear more of Monroeville Music Center. You can find them on Bandcamp, their Facebook page, YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, Discogs, iHeartRadio, and Deezer. And hey, if you want to reach out and communicate with us, please send an email to horrordraftspod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at horrordrafts, all one word. We'd love to hear any questions you have for us, suggestions for topics to draft, or ideas for guests, especially if you can put us in touch with them. Thanks, everyone, and we hope to hear from you soon. Mm-hmm.